And even though I don't know exactly where you are, you are living in a physical body that is alive. Your heart is pumping. Um, You are reigning from your throne. Um, And that's why we, we have hope. And I pray that today, as we consider the evidence uh, for the resurrection, that we might, um, we might be able to give to others the reason for the hope that we have. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Bertrand Russell, anybody know who Bertrand Russell is? Yeah, uh, he says... And this is, this is um, the only part that I'm quoting is his actual words. But he was, um, said that if, if he was happened to die and then happened to be standing in front of God or Jesus on uh, his throne, if that actually happened to be true, um, and Jesus were to say, why didn't you believe his answer would be what? Three, three words. That was it. Not enough evidence. And um, so a lot of people go through our world uh, justifying their unbelief. And they're going to find out when they see Jesus face to face that there was plenty of evidence. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. What I want to do, and these two illustrations, um, if you have read a book like The, the Case for Christ, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uh, any kind of apologetic book, you know that you can take any argument for the resurrection and you can delve down and you can explore it and you can look at it in the nth degree, and, and that's helpful. That's really a good thing. Uh, but I think that sometimes in our apologetic books, we get so immersed down here at the bottom of the ocean trying to work out this particular uh, argument that we sometimes miss that really there is a stream of evidence that is really rather simple. And you don't have to be a, um, some kind of apologist to feel confident that, that there is good evidence for the resurrection. And so today, that's my illustration here, the guy swimming. This was going to be my other illustration. We want to be able to stay on this road right here. Now, is it good to go down? And you guys might have some questions today that take us down a little bit uh, to other, um, you know, dig down into the details, and that's fine. We can do that today. Um, but I want us to be able, in about five minutes to be able to just explain to somebody why we believe the resurrection. That's my goal, so that you can do this. I, uh, Ryan is here. I don't see Megan right now, but uh, you may not know this, Ryan, but I use this, what I'm going to talk about today, with Larry, uh, his father-in-law, um, who is a you know, lifelong kind of agnostic or unbeliever, um, and very well may have received Christ at the end of his life, which is, you know, we have a strong hope of that. He, he, he voiced those words, I believe this, uh, on, we had four, four meetings together. And, but after he had said he believed, after talking with Clark, I knew that he had a lot of problems, you know, uh, intellectual problems about resurrection. So I just started walking through this with him. And, and he said to me about two-thirds of the way through, He says, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and it wasn't, these aren't arguments I came up with, they're not some secret knowledge, they're just basic evidence for the resurrection. So, um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. So usually when I want to talk to someone about Christ, 
I usually say something like, whoop, Jesus lived. You know, there's some people out there that want to say he didn't even exist, and that's just silly. Um, but I, I just say, look, it's not in dispute that Jesus lived. And I, usually people just say, yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, there's Romans, Jew, unbelieving Jews, lots of people that had um, uh, accounts talking about that, that Jesus actually lived. So he, was, he lived this life, he lived in Jerusalem, those sorts of things. He had followers. It's also, and I know that there will be some people that will dispute this, Jesus died. It's not really in dispute that Jesus died. Um, it was a public event, happened. So if you get somebody that wants to go down those roads, you're dealing with somebody pretty tough. But I, most people that I talk to will agree with me that Jesus lived and that Jesus died. The next thing I just want to say, and it's, it's common knowledge that there was an empty tomb. So I really don't try to even debate those things. Uh, those are just, you know, do we accept this? Yeah, Jesus lived, Jesus died. The real question is, um, how do we explain the empty tomb? That's really, that's really the, uh, the argument. Um, so let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit here. So... Got a microphone? Give that to uh, Kyle Hoover. Remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as... Of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. <clears throat> okay. Just, what are some of your observations just reading that text? Uh, Paul is trying to co- convince the uh, Corinthians that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. What are some of the things that he says? Remember, we're trying to stay, not trying to dig too deep. We're just trying to see what's on the surface here. Right. So, so there was... Uh, I witness, I witnesses, many eyewitnesses. Okay, good. What else? Just general observations. Okay, so the scriptures... I think this, he says that the scriptures interpret. So, yes, it's, it's, they give some evidence because he, as uh, Danny said this morning, Jesus um, uh, said that he would die, die and then he did die. The, the Old Testament expected him, the Messiah, to die, and that's what happened. But the scriptures really help us to interpret the death and resurrection of Christ. Without the scriptures, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You would just have an event that somebody rose from the dead. So, but uh, that's an excellent observation, though. Okay, so, so well, um, so, yeah, so uh, the, um, the Corinthians were convinced of their testimony. That's very important. Just like you're going to see here on this general quick 
overview of, of the gospel, there were, there were people who believed the eyewitnesses. Does that make sense? Now, now, it's also true in this section that the very people who once received the message are the ones who are now doubting. Do you see that in there? Look at verse, the end of verse 2. I would remind you, brothers, I'm starting in verse 1, of the gospel I preached to you, which you did receive, in which you stand, so they're currently still believing, and by which you are being saved. And then he says, if you hold fast. Unless you're, and I'm adding, unless your initial belief is now in vain because you quit believing. So there's, there's, a, there's a, these guys... They were convinced of the eyewitness testimony, but then at some point later, doubts begin to rise. And I think Danny dealt some with those this morning in his, um, his sunrise sermon. Uh, okay, so here we go. The, this point that we just made is the real value of apologetics. Apologetics helps believers to keep believing. That's what I think the value of apologetics. Danny said it very well in his sermon, you, do ne- you never argue someone into the kingdom. And I find it interesting that, that even Larry professed a faith the, the time before I went through the apologetics. And then the apologetics made sense to him. So just, just so you know, there, a, lot, a lot of apologetics are to help us deal with the doubts that we will have because of an unbelieving world is constantly telling us that we're crazy for believing the resurrection. Okay? Uh, but your continued belief in the resurrection is essential. Paul says that if you quit believing you're not going to be saved. It's not just did you once believe, are you currently believing, and will you continue to believe until the end? Okay. Um, so basically, the, the, whole Christian life, the whole Christian argument is based upon a historical event. I tell people that, that Christianity is not primarily a philosophy. It's not primarily a worldview. It's not some kind of ideology. It is primarily a historical event. It's the only religion of the world that is based on a historical event. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, you should quit your Christianity. You understand that? You should not be a Christian unless Jesus rose from the dead. The whole thing is based upon, I tell people this because it, it's freeing. It's like, you know, I'm not trying to convince you to, to believe something that doesn't have a solid foundation. Either he rose from the dead and we should all believe, or he didn't rise from the dead and none of us should believe. That's how important this is. Christianity is based on a historical Event And Paul tells us these historical events. We, I said one historical event, but he listed in category. He died, he was buried, and he was raised. Right? Those are the historical events. And how do we know that? He appeared to many eyewitnesses. Okay? So the question is, how, do we, how can we trust... These eyewitnesses. How can we trust these eyewitnesses? Now, fundamental to any apologetic about Jesus' resurrection is that, that the first believers in the resurrection lived in Jerusalem and became believers less than two months after Jesus was buried. 
That is so important. If I were to tell you that my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather died and rose again, there'd be no way to verify that. But if I told you that Christian, who just died two weeks ago, rose from the dead, we all were here at his funeral, we all saw him get put into the grave, all that occurred, we know which tomb he was in, all those kind of things that occurred right then, and then Erica starts saying, he rose from the dead. What could we do? What could we do? (laughs) Well, we could doubt her testimony, but there's some simple things you could do. You could go to the grave, right? You could go check it out. Now, um, the the, uh, the options for an empty tomb. The options, the the only reasonable options. I know that people say things like aliens came down and stole him. But the only two options, and this is right at the top. We're swimming along the top of the water. We're not getting into all the little side trails. There are only two options. Either people that are followers of Jesus stole the body, or people who are enemies of Jesus stole the body. There's really no other options. And I usually say, think of another option for me. Oh, an alien stole the body. Oh, that's real reasonable. You know. And I, even, if a, even if an alien came and stole the body, the, the disciples are not claiming that there was an empty tomb and we just assume that he rose from the dead. They're claiming to have actually seen him. So to have some third party steal the body makes no sense to the belief of the disciples. Okay? So you've got the enemies or the friends. Now, what happens if Erica starts proclaiming that Christian has risen from the dead? We all went to the tomb. It's empty. Uh, And I, who hate Christian, uh, say, no, I actually stole the body. What am I going to do with the body of Christ to shut Erica down? She's She's convincing all you guys to believe. If I stole the body, what am I going to do? Just bring it out. If, in fact, if, if, I, if an enemy stole the body and people are believing in Christ at Pentecost when 3,000 people believe at once, all you have to do is bring the decaying body of Jesus out and it's end of Christianity, period, done, gone. Okay? Remember, Christianity is not a philosophy. It is a historical event. If the historical event did not happen, Christianity doesn't exist. Now, I know 2,000 years later, we try to present a Christianity that is not based on the historical event, but it doesn't get off the ground if that historical event did not occur. That simple. I have, I've done this with lots of people. I've never had anyone say, oh, no, I think the enemy stole the body. <laughs> they all agree with me. Yeah, can't be. Okay, so I said, well, let's we'll start thinking about the friends. Maybe the friend stole the body. You even said conspiracy theory. Right? So what do you do here? Why is it, why is it unreasonable that the friends stole the body? Okay, so uh, first off, uh, as Dan even said, they were, they were initially doubters. Okay? And that's, that is, that's very good, and I would call that one of the one of the, you're digging down a little deeper and make it even simpler. Why is it unreasonable that friends stole the body? Very simple argument. Yeah, desecrating the grave. This is still down here. Soldiers, yeah, you guys are, they're all down, you guys are down here. People, they, they don't care about that kind of stuff. That's the, you said it. No one dies, and this is very important to say, no one dies for what they know is a lie. And I tell people, 
Many people die for lies all the time. People die all the time for lies, but not for what they know is a lie. You tell that to people. Would you? Would you die for what you knew was false? No. Unless, unless you had some other incentive. Okay? And this is the next part of this. Stay on top of the water. People do not die for what they know is a lie unless they have some other incentive. What are some of the incentives that the apostles might have had to lie? Money. Okay, you're going to get wealthy. What? Royalties. And what kind of royalties? I don't know where you're going with that, Jim. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, it's Jim, you messed him up. So he comes back to you. Raise your hand. Okay. spreading the gospel with Jesus that, you know, it would just aid to show that they were right. Right. So number one incentive, pride. They had been saying this, right? And, and they, don't, they don't want to lose face. They're gaining a popularity, right? They're getting people to believe their message. So why not? And the, Christ, the early Christians did have a lot of followers. So it could be popularity, could be following, could be influence, could be uh, uh, wealth, okay? All those are incentives why somebody could promote a lie that they knew was a lie. But what happens to the early disciples? Huh? Well, that was before the resurrection. I'm talking about what happens to those disciples. How do, how do their lives end? They were persecuted. They were killed. John on the island of, it was exiled on the island of Patmos. He's the only one that we know that probably didn't die from a martyr's death. They, they were beaten. They were, they were um, scorned. Paul was uh, stoned multiple times. You know, so maybe you're, you got these other incentives. A good life, overthrow the Romans, get your people to attack the Romans, whatever. But when it comes down to you are going to die. And you know that you stole the body. And the person who's killing you is going to kill you. All you have to do to get out of being killed is to say, we stole the body. He didn't rise from the dead. How many of you are willing to die for what you know is a lie. And how many of them caved? How many of those eyewitnesses actually then later on said, oh, you know what, we really didn't see him? We have God's word that says there were witnesses, okay? People don't believe necessarily God's word. So what other evidence, if you want to call it that, do we have um, besides just what is written in uh, Corinthians, for instance? Well, that's, that's excellent. So what I'm saying is um, first, the first thing you need to do is get them to the point of this option. There's an empty tomb, and there's only two options. Either the enemy stole the body or the friend stole the body. And usually they'll readily uh, admit that neither of those options work, okay? And that brings us to your point, Ken. The next thing that you have to do is you have to explain the faith You have to explain the faith of the early church. If Jesus died, 
And you came, and the, and the claim was, man, we just made a mistake. That man was great. He taught great things. We should follow Jesus' teaching. If that's all that the Christianity was, you don't need a resurrection. You just need a good man that got killed. Right? That happens all the time. But if your claim, your very foundation, is that the one whom you crucified is now alive. Right? That's the... And it begins in Jerusalem. We're not saying way far away. It's in Jerusalem. The very people that yell crucify him are hearing that the apostles declare that he's alive. Explain for me how so many believe. What are your thoughts? Go ahead, Mike. Microphone coming to him. It's a cult. <laughs> and think Jonestown. There are many people who committed suicide. They thought they were following the true faith. And some of them knew it was a lie. I don't, I'm not sure I understand everything that happened in Jonestown. You're saying that the people knew it was a lie and still followed it and died for it? Explain for me that. I don't understand what that... They weren't deceived that they thought it was true. They just they were willing to die for what they knew was a lie. Yes, yeah, but that, if you're duped, whether it's distressed or demented, but then they're still but there, believing it, though. Yeah, there was evidence that some knew it was a lie, and they still did it. Well, they had but, some. But anyway, the they overall, couldn't have been. Huh? It's a, the cult cult attitude that this is a new thing. It took off. Wow. This is great stuff, and then a generation later, it... I'm still, I'm still doubting the, the, the statement that they absolutely knew it was a lie and still followed it. Well, there's a big difference between, there's a big difference between someone who believes the lie and someone who doesn't believe the lie. And you could be in the cult and then no longer believe and you're forced into it still don't think you can get out for some other reason. But to actually know it's a lie and still embrace it, I would I doubt that. Unless you're demented and in other ways deceived or feel like you're enslaved. So sure. author claims, it would just take off and the entire world would be Christian by now. That's interesting. Okay, so, so uh, the explanation of the early believers, not, not the actual eyewitnesses, but the, the first Christians who believed, is that they were just following a cult mentality. So there's all kinds of disagreements with this in my mind. Number one, what happens in a cult? They pull everybody together, try to get them off into one place where they can actually, where Christianity is springing up all over the world. Uh, so there's no isolation going on in that sense. So, the, You have to understand, the Muslim faith is not based on a historical event. Everything about Christianity is based on a historical event. Even, even a cult following is not based on a historical event. Christianity is based on a historical event. You have to convince people that the historical event occurred, particularly the early people, right? So you have to be able to question, how do the, the early church believe the testimony of these first Christians? Because they do not all get to see the resurrected Christ. So I don't, I don't know if I follow the cult idea because you're following an idea, not a historical event. Go ahead, Carrie. Well, Stephen died um, a, mar a martyr's death, and he was testifying. He was going back through their historical history and saying this, this, and this testifies mm -hmm. as to who pointed to who he was. So I think the word ended up being... Yeah, so the, 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 the uh, fuel of faith 
is always the word and spirit. That's always what truly generates faith. But you you still have to you still have to communicate to people some convincing argument that Jesus had risen from the dead. What does Paul do in 1 Corinthians 15? He actually tells you. Verse 6. Good. Falsifiability. Go ahead. So, wow. So that means that um, at the people were, some people were still alive that witnessed the event. Yep. And so those people, you could go back and ask those people. Yep. Um, or you could ask people that knew those people. Yep. And a lot of those people were not related. They, um, you could just ask people in totally different places that uh, wouldn't have, you know, if they had all been together at the same time, um, and seen the, th- seen the same things and been related or in some kind of uh, thing together, um, then it wouldn't have been, uh, <laughs> you would have been able to prove it false. Right. Like today, we can't necessarily prove the resurrection un- false. But back then, you had opportunity to do that. Just like if Christian's tomb was empty and Erica says, yeah, I saw him. You know, he's, he's still got the, the marks in his hands and his side. And then I go over to Emmett, who saw him, and says, no, he didn't have any marks in his side. You can, you can test, cross-reference the, the testimonies. Because Paul is saying, go talk to these people. People actually saw the resurrected Christ. They're not saying, we hope that he's risen from the dead. They're saying, we believe absolutely that he's risen from the dead. And I am willing to die for that belief. Okay. We only have the written word here, but going back to that point in time, what is the other, is there extra biblical evidence? Well, that's what we're saying. Like, it's, I wouldn't even call it extra biblical. The, the, the Bible uh, teaches, the word of God teaches that the, the gospel is founded on the foundation of the apostles, right? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The, their testimony is everything to us, not just their philosophy, not the things that they taught about you know, the law, their statement that Jesus rose from the dead. John says, we don't proclaim to you clever ideas. We proclaim to you what we saw, what we touched. We actually were there. We were, that was my testimony. And so, yes, we today have to ask ourselves the question, do we believe their testimony or not? So that's why they told Paul when they would bring him in before him, stop testifying, because that's all they had, is to try to force them or bully them into not giving evidence. Right, that's true. Well, they're the ones that came up with the lie, that the disciples stole the body. And I just, yeah, people to day one said the disciples stole it, the friends of Jesus stole it. But we've already established, if the friends stole the body, maybe in some cult mindset, these people that are actually saying we, we saw him, we touched him, didn't actually see him and touch him. But that's their claim. And people believed their testimony. They were convinced of it. Because they could go to the empty tomb. They could actually cross-reference and talk to other people who had said that they had seen the resurrected Christ. This is what Paul says. This is the foundation of your faith. Yes, you do not have the same ability to, to do what those early first Christians did. You have to trust the testimony given to us in Scripture. But the very fact that Christianity doesn't die in the water right at the beginning is very strong evidence. So is it, is it undeniable? Are there some people that will just say, no, I don't want to believe? Yeah, people will deny the resurrection till they're blue in the face. In fact, uh, some people say that it is a logical impossibility for anybody to rise from the dead. Therefore, we can't take that option. I mean, that's fine. You're not going to convince everybody. But the fact is, it was reasonable. People truly 
were willing to die for their belief that Jesus had risen from the dead and they had touched him. Okay? Lee. and the darkness and the, the curtain being torn from the top to the bottom. What do they do with that? Well, those, I would argue that those are, um, to an unbelieving world, those are um, uh, anomalies. To a, to a believing world, they make perfect sense because they're things that you would expect from the Bible to happen. But to an unbelieving world, there are anomalies. I hear anomalies all the time. Uh, I won't say where, but I got, you know, uh, new evidence suggests that the Shroud of Turin was actually Jesus's, you know, guys, that, that is so off the mark. Stick to this. You either, the testimony of those early Christians was good and reliable, or it wasn't. It's just that simple. You're either going to um, accept that the early church, the early Christians who were allowed to go and falsify their arguments, they went and studied it and came to the conclusion that Jesus risen from, rose from the dead. Correct, and those, those 12 didn't even stay in the same place. They went all over the world. <laughs> and yet even, even uh, all over the world, they don't, now they're, they're not with the group, they're not in the same group, they still continue to hold that testimony. Not one of them goes back on their statement that Jesus rose from the dead. Yep. To, they could have disputed it and written other letters. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any proof of that. It, it's just so important that Christianity begins in Jerusalem at the very time that it occurs. That is so important to your argument. Of course, if I, a thousand years later, said Jesus rose from the dead and you had no way to verify it, that's just, trust my word. But that's not the way Christianity began. garb sitting on the rock that had been rolled away by the earthquake. Yeah, no one else had seen that. But even, um, again, and I, I love all the, at Easter time, we go through all the different, you know, I think Jim was telling me he'd been reading the accounts, and, you know, one account says that there's one angel, another says that there's two angels, and uh, Jim didn't say that. I'm, he just said he was reading that this, this morning. Um, all of that's wonderful, but that, it... If I told you that I saw an angel, that's one thing, right? That's a vision. There's no way to verify that, right? And who cares? But I'm telling you that Christian physically rose from the dead, and I got to touch him and eat food with him and roast coffee with him. You know, that's what we're saying. I actually have done this. It's not saying, oh, yeah, I had this great vision that Christian, you know, rose from the dead and it was kind of a hallucination or something. No, they're not claiming that. They're claiming that they actually saw a physical body of Christ walking around. Uh, I've, always, I've always thought it was uh, good evidence in itself. Paul's uh, conversion in his testimony, knowing that he was slaughtering and persecuting Christians and then he saw Jesus and how it immediately changed him and just made him a new person.
persecuted. My, you can probably just find me another. Um, thank you. How long did it take for the Christians to start experiencing persecution? Pretty much immediately. Right off the bat. We're not talking about people that were duped and deceived. They, from the very beginning, are experiencing persecution and being scattered away from Jerusalem, right there in Acts 6. It's occurring right then. So, um, yeah, that was his plan to spread. That's right. All you're trying to tell someone is you, and this is usually what I tell people, give me another explanation. Give me one that is more reasonable for the, the existence of an empty tomb. And I'll say things like, you know what? I don't know which tomb it was today. I don't know which tomb it was. You know, there's a, there's a church built on the tomb that they think was Jesus' tomb, but they don't know that. But the early Christians knew it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They knew what tomb it was, those early Christians. They, they could go to it and see yeah, there's a seal. Yeah. It wasn't a it wasn't a hidden tomb. <clears throat> um so easy stream Get to the point that there's an empty tomb. First thing, get to the point is there is an empty tomb. How do we explain that empty tomb? Is it the enemies that stole the body? Is it the friends that stole the body? It's just that simple. Then you have to explain the existence that the first believers were those who could actually do their own investigation. Okay? That's, that's, the, that's staying right to the center of this. Lastly, and we'll close with this, this is a lot of what the sermon's going to be about today. What if he didn't rise from the dead? What does that mean? Okay, so, no... No assurance of forgiveness. See, you guys believe in forgiveness because preachers preach it to you. When does God declare forgiveness? When he rose Jesus from the dead. When he, it's his statement, Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, there is no sacrifice for sin. Now that's not an argument for everybody because some people don't even believe God exists which I think is foolish in itself, but that's true. Some people don't. But you know what? Most of the people that you're talking to feel guilt. They know that there is wrong that they have done. They regret decisions that they have made. And so don't, don't not, uh, minimize the importance of just going back to sin. Why, did Jesus, why is it important Jesus rose from the dead? Because if he didn't, our world has no assurance that there is something called forgiveness. And people need forgiveness. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. They, they, there are some that, that have, feel no, no remorse, no guilt for their actions. But even the most, I'll say this, I don't know if my parents would listen to this, but my dad who's been a non-believer his whole life and has always told me he didn't, doesn't feel guilt in that sense. I'm preaching the truths of the gospel at his unbelieving friend's funeral and I look down and I see my dad crying. There's something in their heart. That's important. It is, our, our basing of forgiveness is not based on a philosophy or a teaching. It's based on a historical event and if that historical event did not occur, then I shouldn't be a Christian. Period. 
I'm fooling my, I'm a part of the cult if this event didn't take place. Paul says, you are, uh, our testimony, our preaching is in vain. What else occurs if the resurrection doesn't occur? If that's not true? What are the other implications of that? Forgiveness is probably the biggest one, but what else? There you go. No hope. This, I think, more and more rings true. I don't think it was as strong when I was a kid and I would talk to people about this. The better your life is, the less you feel this. But the more that you realize that life stinks, the more this makes sense to people. The, the families of those who just lost their children in the Nashville shooting. You know, you tell them, well, I don't know what to do for you because this life is all there is. Let them feel that. See, we only have a reason to hope that there is a true physical resurrection in which every wrong will be righted and every, every evil will be annihilated and we'll have a completely perfect world in which everything is good and perfect and right. We only have that hope because we have seen and we believe that there was one who went before us that actually did live on the other side of the grave. <clears throat> and all that's gone. Oh, he's in a better place. How do you have a hope of that? Maybe you just don't exist. Maybe, maybe you're in a worse place. How do you know that the other side of the grave is better? As a Christian, we have a reason to hope. Because we have a God who actually went to the cross, died, and on the other side rose again and told us there is life after the grave. There is a resurrection. We have that. No one else has that hope. You understand how important this is. So we... You just stick to, the, stick to the top of the water. Don't get in all the little side trails. Don't go doing the shroud of turn. Don't go down these ways. Yeah, there's a place to, to, to go through all those. How many angels were at the tomb? All that's, you know, it's reasonable. But stay on the top. You, you know it with me. There was an empty tomb. There's only two options for the empty tomb. One is the enemy stole the body. The other is the friend stole the body. Then you have to accept the testimony of the early church that they were convinced. They weren't 75% sure. I love one of my professors told me this. You cannot live out your Christian faith with a 75% assurance that this is true. You have to be 100% sure of this. Now, Danny said very well in the sermon, your 100% certainty, and this sounds almost wrong, is mixed with doubts. I am 100% convinced in my mind that there's no better explanation for the empty tomb than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. Do I have doubts? Yes. You know why I have doubts? Because I live in a world that's full of sin. God tells me that I should conquer all my sin and I haven't conquered all my sin yet. God tells me that he cares for me and then something terrible happens in my family. You know, all these things in life convince you otherwise. The world is always saying, oh, you're silly for believing. Well, how, there's so few of us Christians believing. How can I still believe when everyone else is not believing? All those kind of things are happening. But notice, none of those arguments are attacking the evidence for the physical event that occurred. And that's what I keep going back to. I can't get away from it. There are days that I want to not believe. You know, if none of this is true, then I can live any way I want to live. Right? And so there's part of me that doesn't want it to be true. And then I just think, there's no other explanation for the empty tomb. No other explanation for the, the growth of the early church. And, and I just, in my mind, I have to say, you, you know, look at my, my doubting and say, that's the foolish part. That's what's foolish inside of me. Do I feel those foolish doubts? Yes. But it's not because I don't have evidence. 
And you just let people deal with that. They have to, they have to just deal with that. Once you lay out the, the arguments, you just have to leave it at that. Um, ask them to come up with other options. And I've never heard anyone come up with another reasonable option. Anybody got a last question or word we're about ready to quit? Well, we all believe because God speaks to us in our spirit by his word in our hearts, the proclamation of the truth. That, that is the source of belief. But, but, the, but it is not a blind, unreasonable belief. That's what you have to understand. And it's right for you to study that and know it. And be able to give to people a simple explanation for why you believe. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Maybe, maybe you don't understand the cult of Johannesburg or whatever. I, 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 you learn from people. Take their doubts. If you don't know how to answer them, just say, I'll get back with you. I'll think about that. But it doesn't change this basic stream of evidence and truth. And you need to be confident in that. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the resurrection and the evidence of the resurrection. Uh, Lord, confirm to our hearts these basic truths. Thank you for the early disciples that they were not convinced by arguments, but they were convinced by seeing you and touching you. Lord, help us to stand in a culture that is denying you and to love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.